All right. Swords. 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 I love swords. <laughs> swords are cool. Tell me about swords. They're sharp and they're pointy and I swing them at people in a historical manner. Hi, this is Amanda, and I'm currently sitting in a rest area on the border between Texas and Louisiana in Orange, Texas, from the cab of my 2019 international uh, semi-truck with about 25,000 pounds of bread in my trailer, and I swing swords at people in my off time. I know this old saying, which is, no one ever sets out to be a truck driver. <laughs> yeah. How does one fall into becoming a trucker? So prior to driving a truck, I actually worked as a janitor off and on for a little while. And um, I was working for a chocolate factory called Asher's Candies uh, from my hometown in Pennsylvania. And the season started to slow down. They came and said, hey, we're really sorry we got to cut personnel and so we're giving you the boot i'm sorry and if if uh if we need personnel we'll give you a call and uh so there i was without a job and prior to getting into uh janitorial my stepfather who also drives had been bugging me that i should go and drive a truck and I told him every single time for the better part of a couple of years, I can't. There's no way I could possibly do it. It's a gigantic vehicle. It's 80,000 pounds, you know, trying to back up a trailer. I mean, anyone that's tried to back up a trailer knows it's not the easiest thing in the world. It's even worse because it's 53 feet long, my trailer is. Eventually, I just, I kind of just hit a point where I said, screw it. What's the worst that could happen? And I looked into what I needed for qualifications and I worked with a company to basically go through, get my physical and get my learner's permit. And, uh, and then they put me on a bus to Salt Lake City, Utah. And in three weeks, they taught me how to drive semi-trucks. So uh, I worked really hard to learn how to drive and that was a year and a half ago. And I'm coming up on I think the better part of about 350,000 career miles wow. so far, maybe a little under that, but yeah, I've, I've been driving ever since. Is it hard? Going forward? Not really. Um, backing up is a lot harder. Uh, going, going forward, it's really not all that different from, from driving a car. I mean, it's a lot longer than a car, but uh, I can see just about as much, if not more, with all of my mirrors around the truck uh, as I can with a car because of how I have them set up. Not all trucks are set up like mine, but uh, going forward, it's really easy. You just step on the gas and it goes. Um, climbing hills is a pain because, uh, of course, being so heavy, it slows down a lot. But uh, the real hard part about this is 
backing the thing up because it's bendy. I'm, I'm pretty good now when I have the space, I can back a trailer into a parking spot in about 15 to 20 minutes now. It used to take me closer to an hour just to get it backed into a spot. Do you have a favorite road that you've found? Yes, I do. I have a couple of favorite roads. I also have a couple of least favorite roads. Um, <laughs> so my favorite roads are uh, 84 through the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. Uh, it's Interstate 84. And uh, my other favorite is Interstate 80 across Wyoming. There's an area close to the end of I, uh, I-80 in Wyoming uh, that's colloquially known as the Highway to Heaven. As you come up to the, the, the Three Sisters Pass on the west side of I-80, there's an optical illusion that makes it look like the interstate is climbing into the sky. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a really, really cool effect. I've, you gotta get like just the right like conditions to actually see it. Sure. But if you can get if you can get it on a good day, where it's not too overcast, but there's a little bit of clouds, it looks like the interstate goes right into the sky. An honorable mention would be um, I-5 through Northern California, going through the Siskiyou Mountains. That is an absolutely magical road to see at sunrise. What state has the worst traffic? New Jersey. I hate New Jersey. I would rather drive in rush hour traffic in LA than ever drive in Jersey. What is it about New Jersey? Um, the drivers there are insane and they give driver's license to people in Cracker Jack boxes. I'm fairly certain. It's mostly just because New Jersey is one of the oldest places in the United States. The sheer number of people there um, is just so high. So it's been very built up and there's a lot of very confusing roads. And then the drivers who are used to driving there aren't very uh, cooperative with trucks trying to do our jobs. And so um, I spent probably 15, 20 minutes sitting at an intersection waiting on an opportunity to make a left-hand turn because the cars just kept coming and they wouldn't stop. And I need every single inch of both lanes to be able to make the turn that I had to be able to make. I ended up having to just take it uh, and was almost hit, but they, they stopped because of course they don't want to drive head on into a truck. What is the longest stretch of driving that you've ever done? So I'm legally only allowed to drive up to 11 hours per day. Uh, and I'm governed by my employer at 65 miles per hour. I physically cannot go any faster than that um, unless I'm like going down a hill with a tailwind and a heavy load. So I'm pretty kind of capped out 
as far as the actual distance um, at somewhere around 700 miles in a day. My own personal record at the moment is 685 that miles. Is, that is like a lot of driving though. Yeah, it is. <sighs> Did that take you all 11 hours? Uh, I When I parked, I had 15 minutes left on my clock for the day. Oh my gosh. Yep. Oh, and you have a clock that's like counting down. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, we have a logging device. It used to be that we had paper logs, but um, because drivers abused them uh, as rather infamously, they, uh, they now have us use an electronic logging device that you can't cheat. And so when you start at the beginning of your day, uh, it begins counting down one of three clocks. Um, well, it counts down three of four clocks. Uh, the one that is the most relevant at the beginning of the day is called the eight hour clock. And uh, that's how long I can drive before I have to stop for a mandated half hour break. And then I can drive the remainder of the 11 hours after that half hour break uh, until I run out of time. And then there's a 14 hour clock, which is how long I can be on duty doing other work-related tasks and still drive for the day. So, you know, I get up in the morning, I do an inspection of my truck, uh, and then I get driving. And then while I'm at a shipper, you know, I'm doing my paperwork, putting the trailer away, getting an empty, getting in a dock to be unloaded, all of that stuff isn't driving. It's on duty time, but it's not driving. So I can only do stuff like that up to 14 hours a day and still be able to drive. And then I'm limited to 70 hours total on duty time within an eight day period that I'm allowed to work and still drive for the week. So I work about a 70 hour week every week. I know there are some trucks that have like entire cabins built in with like a bedroom and a shower. Does your truck have that or is that, is that not standard? That is not standard. Um, there are trucks that have those things. Uh, we call them super sleepers or stretch sleepers. Um, and that is a custom thing that costs upwards of a million dollars to get made. For kind of a sake of comparison, my truck alone without a trailer off the assembly line cost my company about $200,000, $250,000 to buy it. It's pretty expensive. It's like buying a house um, included with the truck, I do have a bunk um, and some cabinet space, depending on the truck. Some of them do have little fridges. Mine has a little fridge. Uh, and then anything beyond that, you have to add yourself. So uh, my old truck had a TV and I had my switch and an Xbox set up in it. This one, I don't have any of that set up in at the moment. And what do you have in your truck right now? Right now, I'm kind of pretty bare bones. Um, but I've got an instant pot that I can cook in. I've got a little fridge and a microwave that I can use to, you know, put stuff away and reheat leftovers. And then um, I have my Nintendo Switch that I can plug in and play in some downtime. Uh, I keep my sword with me. And um, I have a, like a comforter and pillows and stuff. I have a, like a proper bedding set on my bunk there are some drivers that just sleep in a sleeping bag and that's kind of it i don't have a whole lot with me 
my my previous truck that I drove had uh, a lot of like drawings and stuff put up that friends had made for me. And uh, I used to hang uh, birthday cards up, like birthday, Christmas cards, stuff like that up so that I could have something happy to look at when, uh, when I get lonely. Talk to me about like that 11 hour stretch. You are on the road. What do you, what do you do? I drive. The, uh, there's, there's kind of a few different things that I kind of do to, you know, have some, have some, some background noise, but I basically, uh, I'll put some music on or I'll talk on the phone with my mom or my, my partner. Um, otherwise I put music or podcasts on and, uh, appreciate, enjoy the scenery as I'm passing by and try not to get into accidents with cars when they do dumb things like jump in front of me. This is a job that gives you a lot more alone time than other jobs. How does that affect you? Like having that much time just to yourself to just kind of sit? I like being alone. Um, you kind of have to, to be able to do this job. I have met other drivers who, when like they can't handle it, so they get, uh, they get pets or they get, uh, you know, their, their partner or they'll, they'll team up with another driver. Um, it, it does start to get to you after a little while. I, I'm usually out on the road for six weeks at a time minimum, and I'm all by myself the whole time. So when I when I start to get lonely, um, I I usually will call my partner and we'll talk on the phone and I don't feel quite so alone. It uh, it it does start to kind of eat at you though if you don't if if you let it. This job tends to attract a lot of people that have been otherwise harmed by societal expectations of what we are meant to do. As a result, um, it tends to bring a lot of broken people who want to be alone because when we're with people, we end up getting hurt. So it ends up attracting a lot of like folks like me that are um, bi, trans, uh, lesbian, um, or even just different that, that they just don't, they don't interact with people well. That's really interesting. How did the popular mental image of a trucker being this like big, fat, grizzled man, gigantic beard, ripped off plaid shirt, how did that come to be when it's realistically far more, I guess, sensitive people? I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, I know that a lot of, a lot of people were attracted to this. It, it's always been that way that, that this attracts a lot of, um, a lot of loners and stuff. This is very much, uh, the, 
the modern day wild west for a lot of us where we're all alone uh and we're running all over the place and we end up in some pretty remote places and so there's kind of a a mental idea that this is a continuation of the american ideal of the rugged individual and so it ended up personified as a continuation i think of things like you know old west cowboys and daniel boone and you know those frontiersmen and that kind of ended up um i guess uh like supplanted onto the truck drivers in the 40s and 50s and has uh has been around ever since Is technology taking some of the adventure out of it? I think some people would say yes, but I don't think it is. Um, I've I've seen so many cool things, and to be honest, technology has made it easier to find out about neat, off the beaten path uh, stuff that I could go check out that I never would have known about without having access to a cell phone. Um, while I was I was broken down in Richmond one day, Richmond, Virginia, and uh, I didn't feel like sitting at the shop the whole time. So I looked up stuff to do in Richmond, Virginia, and I went downtown and found museums. And I went digging through uh, a whole bunch of museums in downtown Richmond. I went to the Edgar Allan Poe Museum and stuff that I didn't even know was there. I didn't know there was an Edgar Allan Poe Museum. I would never would have known without without my cell phone. So. I think it depends on how you define adventure. What do you get out of truck driving? The biggest thing is that there's a sense of of freedom that comes with that comes with it. I I don't have a boss breathing down my neck. I don't really have like, you know, someone coming through demanding these quarterly reports by next Friday. I don't have anything like that. I just I hook up to a trailer and I go get it loaded, I take it somewhere else, I get it unloaded, and that's all I, that's all I do. And as long as I do my job, I get left alone. Um, and it also enables me to be able to see my, my partner, because I live in Pennsylvania, but she lives in California. And so we've been together for a very long time, but it was very difficult for us to see each other, and now I do this and I can just go home and see her. I just oh, tell wow. the company, hey, I want to go home, and they yeah. send me send me there. I guess this is like one of the unique jobs that make long-distance relationships entirely viable. Yes, that it is really incredible. is. Um, it also enables me to see a lot of things that I've, I never imagined I would have seen. In a year and a half, I've been to 47 of the lower 48 states. I never imagined that I would even see half of them. Is New Jersey Much the less. state you've avoided? No, it's not. <laughs> Unfortunately. The state I haven't been to yet is Rhode Island. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, could your truck even fit into Rhode Island? <laughs> Maybe. It'd be a bit of a tight squeeze. It's, it's the best job 
I've ever had. And it's the dream job that I never knew was my dream job. You may be wondering why we randomly mentioned swords in the beginning of this episode. So, um, most people now are familiar with fencing as kind of, you know, you see the, the two people in the white suits on a strip of, you know, platform in the Olympics and they, they swing these little wires at each other and eventually one of them gets a point. Most people don't really understand any of it. And it's a lot of times seen as a rich people sport. And I started to get into fencing, but modern fencing was boring to me because it's so far removed from the original context of sword fighting. People used to use swords to defend their honor, to defend their life, people they cared about. They would, they would duel, they would fight with them on the battlefield. It, The sword was something that we lived and died by once upon a time. And so I really wanted to learn how they were used in the past. And so I started getting into historical European martial arts uh, or HEMA and I found that it was very difficult to find anything like that where I lived at the time that I started finally getting into actually trying to do it, not just being interested by the pretty shiny stabby things. And I was eventually able to get in with a club and I started learning how to fence with rapiers, which, you know, is the sword that was like used by the uh, Inigo Montoya and the Dread Pirate Roberts in The Princess Bride, for example. You see my distant fellow, I hate to kill you. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. And they used them in the Three Musketeers movie, the old one. One for all, all for one. They had those, they had those swords with the big cup on front. That, that would be a rapier. And I started learning how to use those. And I learned that all of the people that they name in The Princess Bride during that famous sword fight on the top of the Cliffs of Despair that those were all historical fencing masters. You're using Bonetti's defense against me, huh? I thought it fitting, considering the rocky terrain. And we actually know what, they, what most of them taught because they wrote books explaining how to fight with a sword. And because of their writing the books, those books survived, some of them did until today. And now we're able to read them and try to reconstruct the systems of fighting that they taught in the 16th century and the you know 14th century with long swords and 19th century military sabers these these arts died out because the sword became irrelevant thanks to firearms so we have been reconstructing them and and fighting with them against other people also doing the same thing for one it's a lot more fun to swing a long sword at someone than it is to swing a foil at someone. A foil is the technical term for that tiny little needle sword you've seen. There's just there's just something about it. It's the, the knightly long sword, you know? And so I don't 
personally do a whole lot of competition. I just don't really have time to, to be able to devote to it. But I do keep uh, a rapier and a saber on my truck with me. And I have some manuals that I've been working with on my own. And I'm probably one of the only handful of, of people in the United States at the moment currently working on the military saber system of a guy by the name of Jaime Morello, who is a, a Spaniard in the mid 1800s. There's only, I think, 20 or 30 other people or so in the U.S. that are working on that at the moment. <laughs> so tying this in with truck driving, I had mm -hmm. a, I had just a mental image of like, <laughs> you, you get jumped at a truck stop or something, and they just absolutely have picked the wrong person. So funny story, actually. No way. Um, no way. Not with a sword. Oh no. However. Um, I, in addition to swordsmanship, because it wasn't just swords that they used, they also did wrestling and fighting with daggers and stuff like that. Um, one of the additional things that I practice in addition to rapier fencing is Italian war wrestling, medieval Italian war wrestling. And I, I had a guy take a swing at me at a truck stop and I used a 14th century Italian war wrestling throw to throw him on his ass. <laughs> that is... <laughs> Probably my single awesomest achievement ever. Sure. Unreal. So you, you did mention Xbox and Switch, so you're a gamer. Yes. What game has the best sword play? Oh, that's a really, really hard question because none of them, but also a lot of them. So from, from an aesthetic point of view of it looks cool, I would say that um, the Assassin's Creed series has the coolest looking swordplay. As far as the most authentic fighting, I would say, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the game. It was a first person uh, medieval combat game that was for the 360. And I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. It and it has some really gruesome fighting in it. Chivalry? That's it. Yes, yeah. Chivalry. That was such a good game. I played Chivalry. I played the hell out of Chivalry. I played the ever-loving daylights out of Chivalry. So I do also have uh, a favorite and uh, a least favorite sword fighting movie as well. My, my favorite movie for historical accuracy would absolutely be Ridley Scott's 1977 film, The Duelists, which has the best uh, accurate historical sword play in it. Real sword fights were not long drawn out affairs with all kinds of cool statements. It was a couple of ex exchanges and then someone was bleeding on the ground. 
Um, and that is what you see in the duelists. From an aesthetic, it's just cool to watch people swing swords at people movie. It's gotta be the Princess Bride. Absolutely. I will never forget. You are wonderful. Thank you. I've worked hard to become so. I admitted you are better than I am. Then why are you smiling? I know something you do not know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. And he switches, switches, uh, switches hands and starts fencing with his other hand. That's absolutely one of my favorite sword, sword fighting scenes. And then from an accuracy standpoint of like where the sword fighting in universe makes sense, Star Wars is my absolute least favorite. <laughs> Although I love watching <laughs> fighting. Yeah. It just like, and it's okay in like Empire because the guy that they got to play Vader in the suit was an actual Olympic fencer. Oh my gosh. I learned that recently. The lightsaber dueling in the original trilogy was the least egregious of the three. But everything that happened lightsaber fighting wise in basically everything else was, it was cool on screen, but it's absolutely garbage and doesn't make sense to fight with a lightsaber that way. I'm going to start some fights. Yeah, <laughs> definitely people are going to have a problem with that. That's okay. They're allowed to be wrong. I, I, I have, so, I've never seen Star Wars. You've never seen Star Wars? I've never seen any Star Wars movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about making people mad by saying the sword fighting was bad. <laughs> well, it's your podcast. Better you make them mad than me. It's true. It's true. Does your truck have a name? Yes, it does. I name all of my trucks. This particular truck's name is Karen. Is it? Because she's all the time beeping at me for one okay. thing or another. <laughs> That's what I assume. I'm fairly certain that when I take her into the shop, that she asks to see the shop permit. What is the strangest cargo you've ever driven across the country? So I have two answers to this. The most interesting from just, it's a comically large amount of something would absolutely be uh, hauling 43,000 pounds of Skittles. Um, it was for, uh, for Mars Wrigley. I also- I'd love um, to like do the math and figure out how much one weighs and just see how many you had. I would almost be terrified to find out. Well, the internet is slightly conflicted when it comes down to the average weight of one Skittle. Average is very anywhere from 1.1 grams all the way up to 1.6, so for the purpose of this equation, I'm settling on an even 1.5 grams. There's 453.5 grams in a pound, so that comes up to around 302 Skittles per pound. 
That puts Amanda's truck weighing in at 43,000 pounds at a Skittle capacity of a whopping 12,986,000 Skittles. And just for fun, one Skittle has around four calories each. So Amanda has the unique honor of having driven around 51,944,000 calories worth of Skittles. I would almost be terrified to find out. Sorry about that. So the other really interesting thing from just, I wouldn't expect them to ship it in a refrigerated trailer. I ship 12,000 pounds of azithromycin, oh, wow. uh, which is an antibiotic for Augmented. anyone who doesn't know. I, I specifically yeah. know that because I'm allergic to it. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes. Well, you would definitely have been thoroughly toast if you had taken my trailer. That load was probably valued somewhere upon the order of a couple million dollars. So uh, I, I probably would say that the, the thing I'm the most proud of uh, would definitely be a truck driving thing. When I was in training, my very first trainer, we went over Donner Pass, which is infamous for being one of the most deadly mountain passes in the United States. And when, when you're going over mountains, if you make mistakes, if you make enough of them or a severe enough one, you will die. There's no question. You will drive off the side of the mountain and die. They won't find the body. There will be nothing left. And so it's very critical to respect the mountain, but not get worked up over it. Because when you get worked up over it, you make mistakes. She had kind of worked me up over how dangerous and scary Donner Pass was for the couple weeks prior to us going over, and then made me go over, and I wasn't able to do it. She told me the next morning that I was a disappointment because I wasn't able to do it. The next time I went over Donner Pass was a few months later, and it was in much worse conditions, actually, than the first time I attempted it. And um, I was able to take myself all the way over the mountain and never even realized that I was going over Donner Pass until I made it down to the other side. And when I realized I just summited Donner Pass all on my own, I was so incredibly proud of myself. And the next thought that I had was basically something to the effect of, this is what happens when you tell me that I'm a disappointment, I prove you wrong. And I was so proud of myself for doing it because all I could think the first time I tried to go over was how badly I didn't want to die going over Donner Pass. And then I went over it without a problem. That's definitely the thing that I'm the most proud of in my career at this point. When I was a kid, I yeah. used to love doing the pull the horn motion to truck drivers. Yes. Does that still happen? It's very rare. Oh. Um, I've, I've had, in a year and a half of driving, I've done it three times. Oh. 
That's heartbreaking. It is. We love we love blowing the air horn for people. The smile that it puts on a little kid's face is just heartwarming. So we we love seeing it. I, I don't care if it's a kid, an adult. They could be an 80-year-old grandmother. If they're doing the arm pump, I'm going to blow the air horn for them. In a lonely job, moments of unbridled happiness can sometimes be few and far between. Driving the highway to heaven in Wyoming, or feeling the rush of summoning an incredibly difficult mountain pass, or leaving New Jersey. For Amanda's sake, and all the other lonely truckers out there, looking for a moment of joy in a monotonous drive, please, don't let the arm pump die. Nothing to Me is a podcast hosted by me, Trey Taylor. Audio editing is done on Audacity Suite 2.3.0, and we're recorded on a Yeti Blackout omnidirectional mic. All of our music credits for this episode can be found in the show notes, wherever it is you're listening to this. Special thanks go to Amanda Hammond and the non-podcast people I'm friends with that put up with me talking about my podcast all the time. I'm going to figure out why you don't like podcasts, and then I'm going to make you a podcast, and there's nothing you can do about it. Anyway, our Patreon is now up and running, so if you want to support the show even with a dollar a month, you can head over there and do just that. There's a couple cool rewards I came up with built in with the different amounts, so read through each one and see if there's something in it that applies to you. We've had two new patrons this month, actually, so a huge, gigantic thank you to James Radigan and Mason Pope. I hope you have pleasant dreams of cheese in your red mothership. If you think you or someone you know would be a good person to have on the show, please shoot me an email at contact at thatmeansnothing.com or a DM on either Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook with a short description of what you would want to talk about. We can also be found on all social media at thatmeanszero, the number zero. Thanks for listening. Sorry, New Jersey.